Welcome to the GB News Real Me podcast. I'm Gloria DiPiero. Now, we all have views on politics and politicians, but aside from the spin and the knockabout, who are they? What makes them tick? What's their life story? And why have they chosen a life in politics? That's what the Real Me podcast is all about. We hope you enjoy a very different type of political interview. I sat down with Tan Desee, the Labour MP for Slough, first elected in 2017, becoming the first ever turbaned Sikh in any European parliament. Studying at both Oxford and Cambridge University, Tan's achievements go above and beyond these impressive institutions. Working in construction and running his own small company, Tan was elected as a councillor in Gravesham in 2007, and four years later he became the mayor. And if that wasn't impressive enough, in 2020, Labour leader Sakir Starmer appointed Tan as Shadow Minister for the Railways. Tan started by telling me about where he grew up and how this shaped the man he would become. Oh, Gloria, I was born in Berkshire in the Slough area, but uh, after my formative years there, then I went to um, India in the Punjab to go and study there because my parents wanted me uh, to get the best of both worlds to get the diverse cultures. So yeah, I studied there. And that's, um, to this day, I appreciate that move because it has made me conversant in various languages. So I can now converse in eight different languages, including three South Asian ones. Wow. And lots of people criticise MPs who have not had proper jobs or don't know the real world. You did have a proper job, didn't you? You set up your own business. After I came back, uh, uh, you know, did my secondary schooling after university, then I went up uh, north to Bonnie, Scotland. So I went away from the southern comfort zone of, of the family uh, and that's where I set up uh, our construction business. So that took me all around the country. So that's the beauty of the, of the construction industry, of the building game. If you'd have said to your teenage self, you're going to be a British Member of Parliament, what would you have said to your teenage self if someone had said that to you? I never set out in life to become uh, an MP. Uh, I hadn't even set out to become a councillor. Um, but from the university days, I was always very left-leaning, so I'd been a member of the Labour Party. Something that gradually came on to me. So if during my teenage years, I would never have expected that because my aim then was to follow in my parents' footsteps, who from very humble beginnings, from working in the Ford factory in Slough, my mum used to work at the local petrol pump company, they went on to set up their own small business, uh, which was run out of our garage. So that's how we were blooded into the business, uh, because uh, even during school holidays, I would go and help them out. So that's what I wanted to do in life. But it was something that I I was gradually encouraged by some of the more senior, more experienced members uh, of the Labour Party. They encouraged me and I eventually went on to stand as a local councillor in 2007. So I I was a a councillor for about 10 years before uh, becoming an MP in 2017. Do you like it? Being an MP. Uh, it's an amazing experience. It's a, uh, it's a very, very challenging role, as you'll know, uh, having been in the House. Um, each day is different. Uh, it's not your normal nine to five. So sometimes you have early starts, sometimes late. Sometimes you're there until midnight, gone past midnight. Uh, there are so many different uh, aspects of the role, whether it's uh, constituents coming up to you in tears during advice surgeries. Uh, whether it's to do with the casework, with housing, immigration. And then it's also about international affairs as well as national affairs. Uh, and for somebody who's a student of history, so my MPhil was in history, 
Uh, I, I love that aspect of the role being also very, very mindful of not just current affairs, but where we want to take our country into the future as well. Uh, it's an amazing role. You are the first turban-wearing Sikh to be a member of any European Parliament. How does that feel? It is uh, an enormous privilege, but with that, I am very, very mindful of the fact that it also places on me uh, and my shoulders uh, an extra expectation. So the Sikh community, for example, uh, within the UK, that number is approximately 1% of the population. So for them, it's a source of great pride, but it can also be uh, the source for great discontentment uh, or, or even dismay if I do not end up conducting myself uh, in an appropriate manner. So I am at pains at each on each occasion to make sure that I uh, research before I go into the house because I know that if I say something incorrectly, that won't just reflect on me, it will reflect on anybody that wears a turban, any young children out there, many of whom uh, are unfortunately, you know, they face bullying, whether it's at school, whether it's elsewhere. And I want them to look up to see that, look, if he can do it, why can't I? We need we need that more diverse representation. That's why uh, I'm very, very aware of that. And, and even for the global Sikh community, I know uh, for them, they number approximately 30 million uh, globally. Uh, for them, it was a source of great pride that finally there is somebody that looks like us in Parliament. And I'll tell you what, Gloria, there was nothing that uh, epitomised that more than when I went to attend a wedding up north. And I said this within my maiden speech as well when an elderly gentleman walked up to me, literally with tears uh, uh, streaming down his eyes, to say, look, I am just so, so proud. I am so happy that somebody who looks like me and my children is now in our parliament. Just don't let us down. So, uh, you know, I've got both ends of it. So the pride, but also the pressure to make sure that I don't let them down. Why has it taken so long to get a turban wearing Sikh in parliament? It's something which has perplexed many individuals, given that Sikhs uh, within the UK uh, have been here for over a century. They participated in both world wars. More than 80,000 turban Sikh soldiers died during both world wars, uh, and more than 100,000 were injured. So the level of engagement within the UK and, and the huge population, as I said, 1% of the UK population, but for many of them, politics, I don't think that was top of their agenda. The key things were education, so all parents, including mine, it was all about get educated, do your GCSEs, A-levels, get to university. And the, the careers that they predominantly chose were either in medicine, mm. in law, uh, setting up your business, which is what I went on to do. Uh, and so those were the key things. They didn't uh, go into uh, politics, uh, you know, sport, for example. That was considered a hobby. So I loved playing football. I loved playing cricket, hockey. So I was a captain of my school hockey team uh, and played in various other sports, cross-country champion. But they said, look, that's a good hobby, but you know, what's, what's the day job going to be? What, where's the career? So that's the focus. Things are now changing. There are more and more Sikhs going into, whether it's media like yourself, whether it's politics, cultural aspects, sport. Uh, so yeah, things are changing. Is Parliament, is it a welcoming place for any first of which you are? I'll tell you what, I have loved my time over the last four and a half years uh, when I was first elected, when more experienced individuals like yourself, I could go to my peers. They gave me lots of advice, the do's and don'ts. 
So I was made to feel very welcome. I know that may not be the experience for everybody. Everybody has a different story. Uh, but I like to think that I'm a fairly sociable sort of person. So I would strike up conversations in the tea room or elsewhere, uh, just of my own volition. If I met somebody for the first time, I'd say, hi, Gloria, how are you doing? I'm Tan, I'm from Slough, uh, and so on. So I think that perhaps helped to break the ice. Uh, but I know that not everybody would be like that. But for me, it's been very, very welcoming. And uh, whether it's been a speaker, and I did, by the way, Gloria, in my maiden speech, I also told the speaker, uh, said to the speaker, I said, Mr. Speaker, I'm hoping that these brightly coloured turbans will act as a beacon for uh, 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 so that you consistently point to the uh, member of Slough to make his invaluable contribution. Uh, and so I, I think it's also made me more distinctive because there aren't many people yeah. with brightly coloured turbans walking around Parliament. But uh, then it's up to also to me to make it a two way process. Have you been subject to racism in your life yeah. currently? Yeah, unfortunately, that, that is an experience for many people, especially from ethnic minorities. Uh, and when I grew up, uh, for example, in my school, somebody thought it would be very funny. One of my so-called classmates thought it would be very funny to try and pull off my turban. Uh, and that's just one of those things. But I think I was fortunate enough that I had many good friends and family to help me support that. So uh, when I was in tears and you know I was trying to uh, come to terms with that, as you do, as you can imagine, as a child, and that unfortunately is a same, similar experience for many. Uh, and Gloria, it's not just uh, within, say, schools or in villages or towns. Uh, I can give you another, you know, prime example. One of my guests who had come from India, he was working in, uh, you know, in the environmental uh, arena. He he came over to tr uh, to explain to me uh, what they had been doing, how to encourage more Sikhs to take up issues about the climate crisis. And as he was queuing up outside Parliament, somebody filled with so much hatred, uh, he went along and made disparaging remarks to him, uh, Islamophobic remarks, uh, unfortunately went along and tried to pull off his turban. Uh, so uh, while I was trying to console him, and it was good that the police were there and mm. uh, they caught it all on CCTV, well, I just felt absolutely shameful that this has happened outside our parliament but that's something that we need to target and we need to take that head on we need to tackle racism in all its forms and indeed we need to uh, tackle discrimination whether it's in terms of sexism whether it's against the lgbt community or people with disabilities you know it's through solidarity that we can counter uh, those sort of experiences name calling is part of, of of racism have you been subject to name calling because of the way you look because of the fact that you wear a, a turban unfortunately yes you name it the, that name calling has been there i, I uh, am more than able to look after myself now thanks to that support uh, from uh, a young age but not everybody is able to handle that name calling and that is why we need to tackle uh, that problem. After the 9-11 um, attacks, the level of racism, especially against people like myself who uh, have a turban or have a beard, that increased substantially. In the US, our close friend and allies, there Sikhs were shot dead just because they had a turban and beard and uh, people uh, made Islamophobic remarks against them, called them the Taliban and then when, uh, and the, you know, more than one individual was shot dead because of that hatred, which unfortunately is instilled in so many people, not just here in the mm. UK or Europe, mm. uh, but as I said, within North America and elsewhere as well.
And just for the record, what do you think about the Taliban? What do you think when people say that you are, you are, you are the Taliban because of the colour of your skin? People cannot imagine uh, the impact that whether it's the Taliban or whether it's the Mujahideen have had on the Sikhs within Afghanistan. Uh, so, for example, during the 1970s, there were approximately half a million Sikhs within Afghanistan. And they've been there since the 15th century. So it's a, a community with a proud uh, history and historical connections there because the founder of the Sikh faith had also visited Afghanistan in the 15th century. But unfortunately, since the 1970s, with um, uh, the involvement of the Mujahideen and then later on the Taliban, uh, Sikhs and Hindus and other minorities came in for significant persecution. And now there are only about 700 Sikhs left in Afghanistan. So you can imagine from around half a million to less than a thousand, what those communities must have gone through. And during the last uh, Taliban rule, what actually happened was that the houses of Hindus and Sikhs were marked with yellow flags and they had to go around wearing yellow armbands. So you know, what I would say to GB News viewers is don't think that the minorities like the Sikhs or Hindus, for them, the Taliban aren't some sort of heroes. They have actually faced the persecution and that discrimination from those uh, religious extremists. That's that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, you made a comment to uh, Boris Johnson. It was quite a moment, actually, in Parliament when you accused him of making a racist comparison of burqa-wearing women, yeah. uh, between burqa-wearing women and bank robbers or letterboxes. Just explain that exchange that you had with the Prime Minister and why you made it. So I'm a Sikh, but I want to show that solidarity and we need to tackle that racism. So we've been asking, that, look, when is your for, former foreign secretary, when is your backbencher, who he went on mm. to become obviously a backbencher, that he has made a cold premeditated article in which he has described already vulnerable Muslim women as bank robbers and letterboxes. When is he going to apologize? When are you going to apologize? Uh, you know, it, it cannot be acceptable that people as parliamentarians, we have an amazing platform. Uh, whether it's on social media, whether it's when we stand up uh, in the house, people will listen and that has an impact, a direct impact on people's lives. And when uh, Boris Johnson made those uh, derogatory and divisive and racist remarks, that led to a spike in hate crime uh, against uh, vulnerable Muslim women. They uh, had tomatoes or eggs thrown at them uh, and they had various other racist remarks that were targeted at them all because people like Boris Johnson thought it was fine to use those remarks. So that is why I stood up in the house, and I think it was it was his unlucky day. It was, uh, oh, uh, he might have thought it was an auspicious day because it was his first ever PMQs. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't get as many PMQs, I get about one a year, and yep, my name came up, and I thought, I'm coming straight for you uh, with both barrels loaded. I hadn't quite realized just the, the impact that it had uh, across the globe as in uh, you know, the viral nature of it. But I think the reason for that was, was a, a guy standing up for women. It was a Sikh person standing up for uh, people of other faith. And it was somebody that uh, explained how his own personal life experiences, some of the things that we've been discussing, how that impacted not just on me, but it impacts on other people. So those various strands came beautifully together. Whatever I wanted to say, thankfully I was able to say, uh, and I thought people need to be held to account. It doesn't matter if it's the most powerful person in the country 
the prime minister will be held to account, at least if the likes of me are serving there. He realised that the Conservative members were becoming more and more right-wing, so he thought it would be fine to make those racist remarks in a, a column. It's not saying it in a speech, it could be a slip of the tongue. We write things, then we scrub them out, then we write them again. And you know, it's a, a, a finely worked piece uh, which is ultimately put out. But it, it, you know, it had a damaging impact on many, many people, not just in the UK, but elsewhere. It's not racist though, is it the Prime Minister? Look, ultimately, if you're making racist remarks, then what, by what other name can you call that individual? It's, it's not just calling you know, uh, Muslim women letterboxes and, and bank robbers. This is somebody who's described uh, individuals as uh, piccaninis with watermelon smiles. You know, what sort of individual says that? And that's just, it's just, it's an array of remarks, whether it's in terms of homophobic remarks, you know, we know, we all know, un uh, unfortunately, the sort of remarks that he's made, uh, sexist remarks as well. Uh, so there's no point trying to gloss over things like that. If somebody uses those remarks, uh, whether it's in columns or whether it's in speeches, then I don't think that we can come to any other conclusion, sadly. Now, some people say that, some feminists actually, say that women, they shouldn't be wearing the burqa. They shouldn't be wearing, covering their faces. Others say, actually, it's nothing to do with anyone else. It's, it's about freedom of choice. Some say it's not really freedom of choice. Just tell me your view on women who choose to wear the or choose or, or otherwise to wear the burqa. Look, I'm a Sikh. Uh, you know, I decide to wear a turban. Uh, Sikh women, they, they don't uh, wear a burqa, or the, the, you know, the, what, how they choose to dress that is up to them. Uh, how Muslim women, some women do wear the burqa, some don't. How they choose to dress is, you know, is their prerogative. So I'm not somebody to tell either yourself or anybody else walking down the street as to how uh, they should be conducting themselves or how they should be professing their faith. Uh, as long as people are doing something of their own volition, I don't think that uh, that gives us uh, a, a, an open license to just go and make derogatory remarks. And let it not, not be forgotten that the vast majority of Muslim women don't wear a burqa, uh, they don't wear a, a hijab uh, or a niqab. Uh, so, but if somebody decides to wear a hijab or whether they decide to wear a burqa, that is it's a free country, it's their choice. Tan Desi, it's been fascinating talking to you. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the GB News Real Me podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And you can join me every Monday to Thursday from midday live on GB News for The Briefing, your hour-long dose of political analysis.